let's uh, let's get started. Um, uh, welcoming back the inaugural guest on on the show, and really the inaugural guest on every show I do from now till whenever <laughs> I'm no longer doing shows. I think um, I don't know if you've I don't know if you realized you've signed up for that. Um, so there might like at some point you might have to learn things about like wrestling or or something like that to be able to to join if I ever do a podcast about that. But uh, I'm sure you can manage. Uh, ben Taylor, thinking basketball. Um, it has returned to the program. Ben, how are you Hi, doing this morning? Hi, Seth. I'm good. I'm now. I'm wondering: Are we talking about like WWE wrestling or Greco-Roman wrestling? What will I have to brush up on? And how many podcasts are you planning on starting? No, I, I, I just you know, it's a, it's it's an evolving art form, and and who knows where where what what I will do next? But no, it's 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 more of a promise than a threat, really. <laughs> Um, well, well, you did, you did sort of threaten me onto the show. You're like, I, we have to argue about stuff. And I did think of wrestling because I was like, do we need, do we need a referee? Do what is happening? Is this going? Will there be, will there be a steel chair involved? I'm ready. I'm yeah, ready. I mean, this is this is the influence of our of our of our good friend ben, uh, uh, Dave Dufour, who has <laughs> in, in in you know in his earlier years was in fact a pro wrestler. So I think we both kind of. Uh, by osmosis, learned the art of the promo from him. So, but we're not going to do that today. Uh, we're going to talk about Donovan Mitchell. We're going to start there. Um, because really, the reason I wanted the the, the I wanted to have you back is sort of a constant. But the instigating incident for this one is you <laughs> did. I don't know you. Uh, you you've put out a number of, of very thoughtful pods. Uh, Thinking basketball is a very thoughtful show. Um, three or four episodes ago, you kind of waxed rhapsodic about Donovan Mitchell. Uh, and his improvement as a player and his shot creation and all this wonderful stuff. And um, listening to that, I realized that, that there might not be a player we disagree on more. And that disagreement might highlight some differences in the way we see basketball. And so without it being a referendum on Mitchell specifically, I just kind of wanted to explore that and and, you know, see where we differ or if it's just me being... If if it's just part of my like lifelong defense of all things Rudy Gobert, so so let's let's start there. Like, why don't you lay out your your quickly summarize your argument for why you think Mitchell has ascended to the upper realms of of NBA stardom? Well, I think outside of probably John Moran, I don't know if there's anyone in the league who can kind of touch the paint and collapse you with quickness, ball handling, um, all of the sort of different routes you can take off of high screening action now, splitting staggers, rejecting screens, turning the corner, step backs, all the things like that. And then in conjunction with the step back, I think the fact that he's sort of secretly become a really good shooter, both off the bounce and just in general and catch and shoot or when he's open and can create space, that combination of shot creation collapsing the defense his he's not like a traditionally amazing passer but again when you can pressure defenses like that and you can make a ton of passes especially when you get into the lane especially when you're surrounded with shooting which is what Utah has I think you have a really dangerous offensive weapon I think the fact that he can also you know some, some, I can't remember if we discussed it in that episode, but some of my thoughts around Mitchell have to do with sort of 
pushing back recently against the heliocentrism of everything, if you will, and this idea that I think we fit guys into that box anytime they display these skills. And one thing I like about Mitchell is his actions are very quick hitting and he can do stuff off ball. Again, I wouldn't think of him as Steph Curry or anything away from the basketball, but I like his blend on offense. And I think that total package, I think this week we're going to do some version of our of our top 10 offensive players in the league this year. And there aren't the whole point of that, as we discussed it a couple weeks ago, was that you start to run out of guys who I would prefer on offense when you have that package. That's that's where I'm at. But Seth, just so people are understanding, Seth still hasn't told me where he's at or in particular where our divergence is. So I am waiting on pins and needles. Uh, to- so there, so, so there, there's, there's sort of two things there. Um, one, the last thing you said about sort of the... And this is kind of where my initial disagreement sort of starts is, and given how we're both kind of, we we both sort of focus on playoffs as kind of the highest, and and I don't know if we would say truest measure of a player's skill, but like the utmost measure of a player's skill, everything you said about like the, his, his quick hitting and like running away from heliocentrism and stuff like that, that all goes by the wayside, like as soon as they hit, as soon as, at least over the last couple of years, as soon as they've hit any sort of um, challenge in a playoff series. And so while I think, like, I agree that the, about the player you're describing, in, in challenging moments, that's not the player I feel like I've watched. Well, I, I mean, I actually think the playoff gear is something that has sort of tantalized me about him for the last... How many playoffs have we run in the last like 15 months? This is going to be our third. I, I genuinely cannot keep track of what's happening just in terms of the time frames. But something has gone on since the bubble where you either have, oh, very streaky shooting, good matchup, which is certainly on the table. Or I think, and there's some truth in this direction, which is why I'm more compelled by Mitchell. You have a guy whose physical skills, and I feel the exact same way about John Morant. His physical skills are just at a level where it's extremely difficult for defenses to take him away without, you know, having a, a fantastic specific defender or tilting the defense toward him in a great way. And so it's actually, it's interesting that the playoffs are the thing that would kind of make you feel lesser about Mitchell when they're the thing that are compelling me to say, like, this guy is, you know, he's not at an MVP level, but he's among the elite offensive players in the game now, which is something I don't think I expected, like, two years ago to be saying in 2022. I think this is the the harder part for me as I like have studied this more is recognizing sort of just how much at times like the individual accomplishment and driving for the team can differ. Even, even when players are doing things that are sort of individually efficient they might not be team efficient. And I kind of feel like his, his, he, he shot the crap out of the ball in the playoffs the last couple of years. Like there's no, like his efficiency has gone, individual shooting efficiency has gone through the roof. But I sort of feel like the way that he's gone about that has almost sidelined some of his teammates uh, in a way that um, for the way the team is constructed um, is actually... I don't know if I want to say net negative. It's probably it's certainly not net negative, but it's less positive than just his 
own production might indicate. But isn't the problem with that, like, like I, I have those same thoughts as well, but then you look at the Utah offense in the playoffs, and they've been great in the last two postseasons. And I believe off the top of my head, I think I either mentioned it in that podcast episode or in the video that preceded that on Mitchell and the Jazz offense, but I believe they're also a net positive with him on the court by, like, I don't remember what it is, plus four, plus six. You've got, basically, you've got winning playoff basketball when he's on the court. Utah not winning or being able to sustain that when he's off the court. And then the same pattern with the offense, where the Jazz offense, in conjunction with those numbers, is actually really high. Because in principle, I agree. I do think we have to be careful about automatically assuming there's a connection between individual numbers and great shot making or streaky play or whatever it is, and the team always following in suit. That doesn't happen. But in this case, it seems to be like, we're in the postseason, and the Jazz offense is really good, and Mitchell's really good. Hmm. That, that to me, is the compelling part. I, no, I, 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 that is hard to disagree with. At the same time, I just, for a number of years, just watching uh, other players become bystanders and, bystanders and then sort of... Um, a flip side of kind of, uh, you know, a, a one player ball dominant offense is that player generally starts to perform worse defensively. And um, in the case of Utah, I think that, that, you know, a big problem that they've had over the last several playoff runs is a, a fairly extreme lack of point of attack defense. And, um, Mitchell is one of the main, one of, if not the main culprit of that. And it's, so it seems like we're almost like we're stretching the rubber band of expanding on his strengths and, but also his weaknesses in a way that, you know, does it, does it, how much does it net help the jazz for that to happen? And it, it, like, you know, and you can, you can get into like the, the on offs and stuff like that, but I, you know, then we start to get into the the this is a weird place for me to be living, but sort of the, <laughs> the no, but the, like all right, like your your Boyan Bogdanovich, you've just stand, you've just stood in the corner for ten ten straight possessions while Mitchell like does his thing. He, Mitchell subs off the floor. All right, your turn now. Um, it's sort of like has he had has he been able to sort of rev up and get himself ready, or is he like you know? In, in a spot where he is less likely to perform well. Um, well, I, I don't know if that's entirely what's happening on offense. Um, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm exaggerating for a fact, but there is, you, like... Well, you, let's, sti- let's stick with the defensive point, because yeah. I, I think that's an interesting one. Um, we can grant, I hope, that we can grant that Mitchell can be a negative defender... And he could even lose some of that defense by carrying such a crazy load on offense in the playoffs, assuming that pattern continued, right? But I would hope, as a Rudy Gobert defender, that you could see how someone like Mitchell is also hamstrung by the Jazz are playing Joe Ingles, Bogdanovich, um, you know, when Conley was injured, Jordan Clarkson. And none of these guys can really contain the perimeter. And then from Mitchell's perspective... He's not in a switchy, dynamic, long, rangy, forward, heavy roster situation. He's still out there sort of trying. The, the Utah defense at this point, I almost feel like, is, a, is like a, 
like a dam that just has all these central pressure points that can break. And so then when it does, Gobert being behind, being in the paint, being in drop, whatever it is, doesn't nearly have the same effectiveness when teams space them out like a team like the Clippers did really well. I, I don't know how much I would look at Mitchell in that situation and say, oh, this little extra you've lost or the fact that you're not really a good defender in general means that you're bleeding all kinds of value on defense, if that makes sense. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and this is where this is where you're talking about, again, to, to bring it back a little bit to Bogdanovich and Ingles, um, part of the reason why... Part of the reason you get away with that in the regular season is you can play good team defense and, you know, they, they can be smart positionally and not, you know, get exposed uh, with their on-ball weaknesses the way that, like, playoff schemes might do. So granting that, part of the reason you get away with that also is you do more with them than just kind of have them wait in the corner. Um, and again, that's being reductive, but I th- but you can you can look and see the amount of actions those players get to run, the amount of the ball they get to have has dropped in the playoffs uh, significantly. So you're sort of the, the trade-off that you're, the, the trade you're making between those players and their offensive and defensive contributions, you're sort of removing so much of the benefit for having, for the guy being, you know, a guy with some ball skills like Bogdanovich or Ingles, as opposed to just a, a you know, a, a pure, you know, Reggie Bullock or something like that uh, level offensive player. Um, you're kind of you're 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 cutting off that benefit, and does that have some does that have some spillover on defense on top of of kind of their individual kind of scheme weaknesses or scheme ability weaknesses? But, you know, then we get into some you know then we're getting into like psychoanalysis and stuff like that. Well, it well, doesn't seem, it doesn't well, the, seem ridiculous to say. Well, the that, the physical side is the flip side yeah. though, right? Physiologically, yeah. I mean, you could make the argument that they have more in the tank to focus on defense. It's, it's not cut and dried to me that that only cuts in one direction. That's true. And Let, I, like, go, Scar, go ahead. Well, well, unless you have more to say there, I was just going to take a step back and ask you, yeah. where do you see Mitchell sort of, um, you know, when you do your tiers project, that's overall mm-hmm. players. But if you were to think of that offensively, Assuming our disagreement is that we have him in a different offensive tier, um, help put some texture on that for me and maybe anyone listening. Like, where where would you put him at this point? What's a similar offensive player or two in the category that you see him at versus, um, I'm assuming I have him in sort of a tier above? So, I mean, just as an offensive player, I mean, the, I th- almost think the natural, one of the natural comparisons is Devin Booker. I think they're... See, oh, this is great. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think they, are, they are reasonably com- comparable offensively. Um, and I think that if for no other reasons than his size, but also like he's, that's an area where I think Booker has used to be a train wreck of a defender and he has... Uh, you know, both gotten smarter about where to not, you know, where if he's going to rest, how to rest. But he's also he's, he also is uh, par- probably as a result of having a lot more capable teammates in part, I would say. But he's also he competes harder on defense than 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 he did two or three years ago. So my, my favorite thing to do is to um, 
really get all the all the messages from the Suns fans. So we can just <laughs> jump right in with a spoiler. One of the things that's compelling to me about this whole situation is you watch a ton, or I watched a ton of Booker film, and then you watch a ton of Mitchell film, and I just think he can do things Booker can't do anymore. So I, just, I think he's separated himself. So, and then I here. So here is, and this is that. That is the kind of statement that gets us maybe more to our fundamental disagreement. Is sort of. I, I don't know how much I care about things he can do. I mean, I, I, I care about it instrumentally. I don't care about it beyond that. Yes, but that... to, of course, yes. But to be clear, I'm speaking functionally as well. I'm not just saying you can make a floater. I'm saying your ability to get a high percentage shot uh, on demand is greater than Booker's. I think, I think one thing about Booker is a I mean, huge sort of part of his diet is still tough shots. So he, along with Kevin Durant, is kind of like the ultimate example of someone in the league we watch. We go, oh my God, did you see the game that guy had? He was making shots left and right. He made these three big shots in the fourth quarter. And you look at the box score and he was 9 of 27 with two free throws and five turnovers. What I'm saying about Mitchell and what he can do is he can get to the basket and generate higher efficiency shots. I mean, this is a season... I don't know if you guys have talked about this, but this is a season where guard efficiency is way, way down, right? The, there's, there's very few guards in the league scoring at like over 60% true shooting. Have you guys talked about this at all? We haven't. Okay. So when you look at the leaders in, in guard efficiency, for Mitchell at this point in his, to, his career to be around that number... That's what I'm referring to when I can say he can do things, right? He can, his pull-up three-point shooting, his open three-point shooting, is significantly better than Devin Booker's. But I bet if you pulled people on the street, they would have the exact opposite impression of the two players. That's I mean, kind that, of what I'm getting at. That, that has, I mean, de- like, Devin Booker, the, the reputation of Devin Booker specifically as a three-point shooter is something that has been, like, de- that's sort of a sticky bit of his rep coming out of Kentucky since that's how Kentucky used him. And he really hasn't been that ever in his NBA career. I, so this is an interesting thing because this year is like, uh, like Booker's true shooting is like basically his career average this year. Mitchell's true shooting is a career high this year. Yep. And they're about the same. I think it's like uh five, seven, five versus five, six, nine or something like that. So even having said all that stuff, I like, there isn't, you know, yes, Booker exists on a diet of tough shots, but these are important tough shots. Like those, these are the sin eating shots for that, that he and Chris Paul can do that are like in and of themselves, a decent offense. And then they allow everyone else in the Suns to play super efficiently. And even having said that they're roughly the same efficiency and Booker's a lower turnover player. So from a pure score and you know, that's, that's not quite apples to apples because Mitchell obviously has a more of a playmaking load. Although I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a chasm in terms of 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 his his creation for teammates between him and Booker. Um, but still, I mean, I think that that's so. It's there. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to accuse you of of going real Hooper on this, but I do wonder if there's a little bit of aesthetics coming in um, to to. 
you know, what your what your your preference for Mitchell? Well, I think Mitchell's clearly a better passer. I think he's clearly a better playmaker. I think he's a better shooter. The efficiency, he's still a couple percentage points ahead on efficiency. They're not exactly the same. Um, I, it might have been, I think Mitchell was closer to three when we had that conversation, plus three percentage points ahead of the league. He might be closer to plus two today. But, you know, how material each one of those things is versus the larger point, right, around just his ability to succeed in ways that I don't think Booker succeeds, um, that's more of my takeaway. When I compare the two players, where I think, again, the casual or sort of common um, at-a-distance perception is that these guys are in the same tier, and I think as an offensive player, I, I think Mitchell has created some separation. So I... Hmm. And I think this is one of the, the, the toughest things for me to figure out how to value is I don't think Mitchell is an elite offense creator for himself. He's very good, but he's not Kevin Durant. You know, he's like that, that, those, that very top tier of get my own shot, guys. He's a little, and, and so I'm not sure... And you move, like, this is a skill that, you know, figuring out how to value as you sort of move up and down the various levels of it. I feel pretty strongly that, like, mediocre individual creation is the most overrated skill in basketball. Um, But what to make of the pretty good, um, but not quite elite? Like, how do we value that? Does that does that even make? First of all, do you agree with my premise? And second of all, I, I do. Yeah, I think it's not a linear curve. Yes, the relationship, right? It's kind of probably, if I had to guess, it looks like an S curve, where you actually kind of take off and and really provide a ton of value when you start to uh, be able to pressure defenses with really efficient self generated scoring. And then that kind of tapers off into some mediocre land when you're slightly negative or slightly positive, but still holding at value. And then when you become problematic and you kind of like continue scoring at not so good efficiency, but very great volume, how much value are you even adding? Because you're taking away so much from other options, other teammates. So why would, why would you take shots at RJ Barrett that way? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> had to, had to. Thank you for, thank you for um, distracting. If you could get another Phoenix player in there so I could just have absolutely no heat after this episode, that would be <laughs> fantastic. You can get the entire tri-state area of New York and the Southwest coming after you. Um, I, I do kind of... Durant is interesting, though, because, again, do we, do we immediately index on that because of what I was connecting him to Booker earlier, which is just like 15 foot jumper, shoot it over someone high percentage. You go to Durant, but Durant doesn't have the best scoring numbers in the league because he doesn't pressure the rim. Like some of the other guys, he, he doesn't have necessarily all three levels that maybe, I mean, Durant to me is still one of the best scorers in the league, but it's just so interesting that we go to that. We go to him as the referendum, even though he's taking, you know, 54% mid-range jumpers, when I'm pretty sure I'd rather have, like, Jokic back someone down under the basket. 
Sure, but I mean the the, the I mean, I I mean I think that that Jokic is sort of um, you know he's in the the very short list for for best offensive engines in the league and and you know in in your in your kind of ballywick uh like we have to we probably have to start talking about like where he like as like over the last couple of years where that would be on a historic basis oh yeah no i think he's clearly the best offensive player in the league i i would I, that's a hill i would love to climb up and die on like i just don't th- i think he's unassailable as the best offensive player in the league I think he's one of the best offensive players ever. So, let, let's talk about that. Actually, like I think we, I think we've kind of talked through the, 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 the Mitchell and related piece, um, but this is semi-related because I think part of part of the part of the Durant thing is, um, I think he's he is the about the most playoff proof of these. Now, and, and Jokic has been obviously like part of the reason why I have no problem like ranking him and or rating him in like the very top tier of the league is he's been universally excellent in the postseason, like across his career. Um, but just by nature of sort of his his physical dimensions and Durant's physical dimensions, like Durant can just it's. I this is my sense again is that Durant doesn't it almost doesn't matter he can do that against anybody with anybody and and Jokic is is a is a little more affected by that you you mean uh in terms of just scoring or pressuring defense are are you, are you yeah. making the are you making the case that Durant is the best best offensive player in the league I I think Durant is the best playoff offensive player in the league I don't think I would like I I have no problem agreeing with you that Jokic is the best regular season and an, an elite playoff offense but I I just I there's just something maybe I'm over-indexing on like you know a few transcendent performances in you know the the conference semis last year but at the same time those like those those, those are those are games that happened like you know and I don't I like there's nobody else in the league who can get to that Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing we also, which is really, which is really ironic coming off the Mitchell conversation, but I'm guessing you're much higher on Durant's, uh, series against Milwaukee than I am. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Let, let, so let, this is, this is the first negative thing I've heard about someone saying about Durant in that series. Please continue. Well, I don't know if negative is the right word. I just think people talk about it like it was kind of this transcendent sort of God-level basketball moment, and I, I don't really think it was one of his best series. Interesting. Um, Why? Yeah. I, Go on. Well, I think, <laughs> I think he's had much better series, and I think... Well, so he's had, he's had more numerically better series, but I think... In context, given like all of a sudden the team that was built around three creators suddenly had one against you know one of the elite defenses in the league, I, I think in those context in that context the fact that you know that he did what he did and frankly they should have won that series but you know big toes being what they are um, see but that's where I think we disagree yeah. I. 
I don't like as reducing far, a series as just played, to the end. As played, they, 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 like not just like you run that with those lineups and rosters, you run that series 10 times. I think Milwaukee wins it, you know, assuming you get like, you know, three games of Kyrie and two games of uh, hobbled Harden. Like I think Milwaukee wins that series seven or eight out of 10. Um, I think as the series was played, I think that it's uh, Brooklyn can feel like we let that one get away. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm saying about sort of the toe point at the end is you're, you're kind of looking for these variance inflection points or things like that. But people don't point out that like, what was it? Jeff Green who hit eight of eight three pointers in a game and, and another game where they were down one of the stars. I also can't remember off the top of my head. Harden got injured in game one. Irving got injured in game three, I think. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere yeah. in there, they had another insane shooting game. I want to say in one of the first two games, they also had another insane shooting game where, meanwhile, the Buck shooting was, like, um, comically bad in the other direction. So that's where I think the whole picture of the series kind of is influenced um, for people who watch it if they're reducing it to this, like, well, Brooklyn should have won the series. It was a toe versus the actual basketball that was played before role players took open jumpers. And when I'm, when I'm trying to figure out, mm. right, when I'm trying to figure out how well someone played, especially in a series, which is a small sample, I try not to get too hung up on how other players shot open jumpers as we think about them. Now, don't get me wrong. Durant's shot making in the series was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. But that's another thing I get a little nervous about when you look at the overall play to say, like, well, it's kind of like LeBron in 15 to some degree, and that was another good series, just like Durant's series last year, where, where if you take a certain perspective, and I know people who have taken, taken this perspective, and they say, look what LeBron did with this team. Look at this heavy lifting he did. Look at, the, look at this sort of incredible um, job carrying a depleted team. I'm going to give him extra, 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 extra points because he took this better team to the wire and call that his best series. That, that's where I have a hard time. I, I, just, I just don't really think that's a great way to evaluate how someone played in a series. Are you, you're talking about specifically the, the 15 finals? The 15 finals, yeah. So I don't, I, see, I don't think those are comparable. Like I thought like, Le, 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 the control LeBron exerted on that series was obviously tremendous. And, you know, the, the, I remember I wrote about this, like the rest of the team did... Did you know? In basically, an offense not generated by LeBron. They're like I, the the rest of the team might have even had it like a, a true shooting in like the 30s, like on on either shots either not either taken, assisted by or immediately putbacks off of misses from LeBron. Um, uh, but I well, so that was that's one thing. <laughs> like that's that's sort of this that, that's like the um, it is a different like a, it's a like a 300 you know, kind of, you know, this is LeBron kind of, kind of moment. And I don't think, I don't think Durant's series is comparable in that he was like, he wasn't just good relative to what his teammates did. He was actively good. Um, like, but, but I think a lot of people would, I, I think a lot of people would look at Durant's series and like it more and kind I, of what I'm using, I'm using here a different version of, a, of a, the same phenomenon, right? In LeBron's case, 
It's other stuff like playmaking, tempo, pace, things like that. In Durant's case, I think it was shot making. I don't think it was just shot making. I think that, I mean, we're talking specifically about him as an offensive player, but, and maybe this is bleeding in a little bit. This is sort of the reverse of like, you know, Joakim Noah winning defensive player of the year because he got a bunch of triple doubles down the stretch of that season. But we won't, Roy Hibbert was robbed. We can talk about that some other time. <laughs> um, um, so I, it's probably bleeding over the fact that, like, you know, he he did all this while, like, boxing out Brooke Lopez on every play defensively. And, you know, and, and, and you know, being also like a, you know, doing all this, carrying some absurd usage rate while also being, you know, a top-level defensive player um, and having to be the best rebounder on the floor. And so... So I think that's probably playing into my evaluation of his offensive game a little bit because I think that almost factors into the sort of the energy expenditure that went into it. Okay. And, I think, and so I think that if you're, if you're going to say that I'm sort of, you know, thumbing the scale by including stuff that we're not supposed to be including, like, I'll cop to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah to some degree. But, I, I mean, I'll even bring us back just to the scoring component because – I think part of what we've talked about, part of the theme of everything we've talked about, still does come back to certain perceptions um, and certain, yeah, you used the term aesthetic earlier, but it's, it's not just that, right? It's these indelible moments, it's takeaways about what feels unstoppable, it's the fact that you went right to Durant, um, and I think that's so much of you know, his ability to sort of excel in the mid-range on demand versus stuff like we don't think about Giannis uh, as much in that conversation, just getting to the basket or being so good around the basket. And so let me say this, based on everything I just said, if I told you that in Oklahoma City, in his last few years years there, Kevin Durant, his volume's always pretty comparable. I want, let's just, for the sake of argument, call it like 30 points per game, 30 points per 75 possessions, something in that ballpark. His efficiency relative to the defenses he played was like plus 2% true shooting. Then he went to uh, Golden State, and in three years in the playoffs in Golden State, with Steph Curry on the bench, his efficiency was like plus 3, maybe? I I have it somewhere in an old project I've done. Um, But the point is, it's not too different when Curry's not on the floor. And then in the, in the series last year, again, he doesn't have multiple superstars to play with, but most players don't have multiple offensive superstars to play with. And he ends up with very similar numbers. We could pull them up, but off the top of my uh, head. It's 60% true shooting on, uh, on 37% usage. Well, I don't know what 37% usage means, but... Um, 60% is probably like what plus 4 against that Bucks defense. So it's it's maybe there's a little more volume, but the point is right his his scoring numbers in the postseason do do to me have a pattern that extends what is that five that's six postseasons going back to like 2015, maybe even 2014. I can't remember when that starts. So if I said that to you would you still make the argument that he's the best offensive player in the playoffs, knowing typically that great offensive players in the playoffs, especially ones that have this sort of two-pronged stranglehold on the defense where they're either going to kill you with playmaking or scoring, 
knowing that they tend to have better numbers and much better efficiency? Um, I think that, I mean, that you're, I, I, the part that gets me is the, is, is, I mean, it's not just efficiency, it's usage as well, especially for a limited team, someone who can use that many, or a guy with limited available teammates, a guy who can use that much of the offense at that high a level is doing so much more than, you know, someone who's using, you know, five to 7% fewer possessions, even at a slightly higher, uh, because you got to, you have to figure that the sort of the, the replacement level possession is like, you know, Blake Griffin or something like, like the, the you know, 2021 Blake Griffin is, is the, is the, like the alternative or, or Bruce Brown shooting a jumper or, or what, whoever else on, you know, who was available for, for Brooklyn last year. So I think that's like, it's not, you know, when we talk, you know, we can, we get caught up in like just talking about efficiency, but to my mind, if we eliminate, we, we do a disservice if we don't talk about the, Efficiency component because that's that's really a shorthand for the kind the, of shots. The vol- you mean the volume the, component? Yeah, the volume component. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's that's also a shorthand for for difficulty and the player who can use a lot of difficult shots, presumably, is making his teammates only have to take easy shots. And so you you talked about you know not caring about um, you know other guys making open shots. I mean, if those shots are really open because all the hard shots are being taken by the one superstar, like that is, there is, you know, quantifying the knock-on effect is is sort of beyond what we can do right now. But it's hard to say it doesn't exist. Oh, no, I, I, that's what I care about. I care about if you are able to create those open shots for your teammates. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, again, it's, it, this is only in the lens of deifying that series or saying something like Durant is better than Jokic on offense. It's only from that lens, because I still, I don't remember where off the top of my head I had him um, as an offensive player in my sort of end of the season rankings that I try to do, but it was very high, right? It was like one of the top two or three offensive players in the game. Um, and so in the top tier, you would say, this is why, we, this is why I don't do rankings, because it's like, well, we're, we're, we're really like, I'm picking, like, I'm sort of picking nits because Jokic got tired against, <laughs> you know, right, right. against no, Phoenix. No, I think th- this season, um, I just think Jokic continues to basically prove it or, or get better. So I think this season, there's a little bit of separation that I wouldn't, unless you're painting very broad stroke tiers, I think when the players are this good, you can say Jokic has the advantage. Um, I, I mean, if, if sort of... If Jokic like duplicates what he's done in the regular season, in like into the second round of the playoffs this year, like yeah, 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 that's, <laughs> that's fine. That's, you want yeah. you want to see more? That's fine. Um, yeah. But I, I I think where I was going on that Durant point, I I kind of lost my train of thought for a second. I think where I was going is I believe the the Brooklyn offense itself wasn't that good in that series, and I believe. He was, you know, for a seven-game series that has that kind of, like, toe thing at the end, I think off the top of my head they were pretty, not significantly, but pretty clearly outscored when he was on the floor. And so, again, if I were evaluating, if I were going into the series and going through the film and trying to say, how do I evaluate a single series, what I would look for is, 
is he sort of creating pressure and slicing up the defense to get his guys those open shots? Or is it just a situation where we remember all of the good stuff he did in the two or three kind of crazy shooting and scoring games he had? Was it three or two? I can't remember. He had at least two. And then that gets swept along with the Jeff Greens and, you know, who else was out there? Blake, Blake Griffin raining threes in the other games. That's sort of the, to borrow your term, the, the, the nit that I'm picking in the other direction. Yeah. Well, 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 you think of that. I'll also, I think, I feel like, I feel like we once landed here. Um, uh, no, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm doing, I'm doing math in my head to, to see what, <laughs> well, to see well, what, I, he, what, like whether he, uh, his, his, like his plus minus for the series. Uh, I'll try to pull it up. I have it somewhere. Um, I mean, they were outscored by, I don't know, 10 over seven games with him on the floor, give or take, with some some guesstimation. So that's a, if that's, I mean, 10 with seven games is going to be a small number. Yeah. Uh, so, but, I mean, they essentially they, 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 they play even with him. I mean, in a seven, in a close seven game series with a guy, a guy's playing, you know, is he playing 48 minutes a game? I mean, you know, it's like. Yeah, and, I, and I, frankly, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's part of the other thing is he played like in two of those games, he played, he played 48 minutes in game five and 53 in, in game seven and did all this. Like, you know, that may, like, am I, am I, is that sort of, is, is the, uh, I don't know, the babe, the blue, the Paul Bunyan-esque quality of that. Is that, is that sort of coloring my analysis? Some probably. Well, but that's also very impressive, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I think that volume counts. That volume is part of it. But what what I was going to say um, is we once had a somewhat famous disagreement on a on a podcast post show, and I'm kind of reminded oh. of a similar thing here. What where is this the what, one that got me that, that that got the Lakers fans all mad at me? Correct. That is okay. the one. I will I will leave it in the dark to not not resurrect yeah. that. But. Something in that conversation, something something in that conversation that struck me was when we were talking about Garnett, you were concerned about his volume scoring, but didn't have that concern with Pippen. And today I I feel like there's a similar sort of um, tension that I can't resolve or or sort of um, feels like an inconsistency where I where when we were talking about Mitchell earlier, it feels like. All of the concerns you had about his playoff heavy lifting now are positives with Durant. And of course, I assume your first thought is going to be, well, in the case of Durant, his team is, you know, he he doesn't have Boyan Bogdanovich standing in the corner. Um, But Um, I I mean, I would say it's it's more that um, it's not just like it with, with with. like okay, like Mitchell has had some incandescent shooting playoffs the last couple of years, but that's also like shooting that is um, as significant enough divergence from his body of work that I don't want to say oh he's a he's a sixty five percent you know true shooting in the playoffs guy or he like uh, right, rather right. he had you know and and it's so like the significant body of work that you know Durant is a more efficient scorer than Mitchell. Um, right, right, but that's and, what I'm and saying. And so that, like, so that's like even teammates aside, like you know, we we're like we we're talking earlier, like um, 
you know, the inflection point for where, like, that individual creation starts to gain massive value. I think, like, almost wherever we set it, like, Durant is higher up that, enough higher up that curve that, like, if he, if he had 100% usage and he was, and he was, like, like, go ahead, you know? Right, right. Um, but, and just to be clear, this is, you're, you're speaking to why I have Durant in a, in a whole different tier, um, very clearly a different tier than someone like Mitchell, both now and historically. But that goes back for me, it, it seems part of our disagreement or part sort of maybe even connects back to Mitchell, but definitely on Durant, is that you trust what you've seen in the playoffs from his numbers, from his ability to make these open shots and generate 65% true shooting or whatever, whatever you just cited. But what I'm saying is I see a guy who, when he's in Oklahoma City, when he doesn't play with Steph Curry, and then to some degree even last year in Brooklyn, because I don't think he can get to the basket quite as well as before his Achilles injury, you're actually talking about a guy who's more like 59 or 60% in the playoffs, not 65%. Yeah, no, I no, I was saying Mitchell. I don't, I don't think that, I, I think that that Mitchell has had series where he's shot that well. I, I think that's it's a did versus is, and and sort of like the body of work of of Durant's career makes me think, yeah, he can he can metronomically knock out like you know, okay, if that's what it is, that's what it is. But he's going to shoot sixty percent true shooting at a high volume series, bang bang bang. Whereas Mitchell has. Has exceeded that a time or two, but that's such that's so discontinuous with like his overall career. Like this is the first year where he's been higher than league average efficiency in the regular season. Um, yeah. By by the way, on Durant, I did find the playoff numbers. We we must have different numbers because I have I have his on off uh, as minus thirty nine, not minus ten. Maybe I did math in my head badly. Yeah. Um, the other thing is just to, just just so uh, everyone knows what I'm looking at, his scoring in that series, 31 points per 75, and it was 2.7% better than the Bucks' uh, true shooting defense in the regular season. It was one of his, statistically, just statistically on estimates, not one of his best passing series. Um, and, and this is the thing I mentioned about the free throw line. His free throw numbers in all of his series, with the exception of one series in Golden State, it was the lowest free throw total he's had since about 2015 in the playoff series. And I think that's part of it. And by the way, going back to my point about indexing on incredible shots, he shot 55% from mid-range in the series, which is just absolutely phenomenal. On, on 13 mid-range attempts every 75 possessions. So I think that is where I'm still very high on him uh, and still think of him as one of the best offensive players in the world. But I do think they're trade-offs, and I do think it's a... It's a much more complex series is kind of how I feel about it versus, you know, the, the gallant warrior almost almost 300 it by himself to use. I really like that one. I'm going to have to steal the 300 um. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I couldn't think of a better term, but I'll but I'll go with it. Yeah, we'll just we'll just add that to the list of um, great set part Seth part now phrases that you've that you've come up with. So you, but just, just to just, just some, some context, by the way, is like, so you're, you know, you were mentioning like, he's, you know, he's he like the 55% mid range in that series. I mean, he's been like, again, I'm eyeballing it because uh, 
basketball reference breaks it into like kind of the, the short mid range and the long mid range, but he's been at or above like 50% on mid range shots, basically since his last OKC season. Um, I, I actually have it broken out by series, uh, not from basketball reference from the play by play. And as I said, his, his, I think his shooting in his mid range is fantastic and has improved over the years, but you go back to when he ended at Oklahoma city, uh, he had his last series at Oklahoma City. Let me, let me give you, in the mid-range, his last six series in Oklahoma City before going to Golden State. Uh, he took, these are all per 75. He took 13 attempts at 40%, 11 attempts at 43%, 10 attempts at 42%, 10 attempts at 45%, 12 attempts at 32%, Oof. 10 attempts at 52%, and then 12 attempts at 42%. Then he goes to Golden State and you start to see these unbelievable numbers in the 50s, and he even has some series in the 60s. And while I do, I mean, I just did a really deep dive study on him last year over these years of his career, I do think he has improved as a shooter. But I also think when you take Steph Curry off the floor, the arc of his scoring efficiency doesn't change that much over the last five or six seasons. Which is, as an aside conversation, one of the reasons I'm so high on Steph Curry. It's, it's really interesting to see, I think, how you can, if, if you see something one way, how you can allocate credit in that one direction and then naturally sort of discount another lever in the equation, whereas if you see it the other way. So to me, it's like I tend to give Curry a little more credit, whereas a lot of people have seen what happened in Golden State and they give Durant that credit. Right, I mean, it, like, that, that's crazy. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, the fact that, they just, no matter who else is on the floor, they have a mediocre offense with Curry off the floor. Like, is, you know, they have, with, you know, last, okay, last couple of years, they've, they haven't had as, as much talent, whatever. But it's, it's been such a consistent thing over this run that, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's possible that at this point, Steph Curry is underrated. Is that weird? Is that weird to say? I'm glad you said it and not me. Um, I think we've solved all the world's problems here today, Steph. Steph, what do you think? Uh, is that where we're going to leave it? Is Steph Curry, tune in to Thinking Basketball, where we talk about how underrated Steph Curry is. I can't. Where, I can't where we're joined, where, no. where we're joined by uh, <laughs> by by Warriors play-by-play announcer uh, <laughs> to tell us just how underrated, how underappreciated he is. Is that where we're going with this? Oh no. Oh. <laughs> uh, um. No, I th- I feel like I feel like we covered some good ground here today. Did we? Were there any other? Were there any other? Um, uh, what's it called? At Festivus? Were there any other <laughs> airing of grievances? grievances? Were there any other airing of grievances you had on your list? Oh, I, so we got we got five or ten minutes here. Um, have you talked recently about what you think about like what Boston's going to do this year? This is like this is this is all I want to talk about with anybody right now. Is is the Celtics in the playoffs this year? I made I made a nice long video about the Celtics recently. I actually I actually have two videos okay. on the Thinking Basketball channel about the Celtics because one is just devoted to Rob Williams and sort of his adjustment, <laughs> uh, right, and that scheme, and then the second is really getting into um, I think the big I mean Tatum smart at point guard the trades. Uh, Seth, I was trying to think about this. I can't think of a team that has had a better single-season turnaround probably in my lifetime. 
Uh, and they just feel like they got rid of all of the problems, fixed all of the schemes, everybody matured, they brought in the right pieces, they slotted everybody in positions to optimize them, and now are they... Are they the and, f- and clutch variants evened out a little bit. Yeah, yep, yep, <laughs> yep, <laughs> like, yep, total flip, right? Yeah. And now are they like... I mean, this feels like a weird sentence to utter, but also in terms of the team quality, it doesn't feel weird at all. It feels like I'm kind of holding back. Are they the favorites in the East? I've I've been like, I've been actually, I, at the Sloan conference in Boston, like I was talking to a member of, of the Celtics front office. It's like, I've, I've, I'm, I think I'm going to pick you guys to win the East. And he's like, "Ah, I don't know. And I just saw And I've been texting with him. It's like, I I think I got to go with it. I think I was like, and it just, you know, the natural sort of pessimism of, 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 you know, people in the arena, but I'm, I mean, I've been circling around this for a month, and yeah, you know, I, yeah. I had a, I had a column that came out today on the Athletic where I, I closed my eyes and, and picked Marcus Smart for Defensive Player of the Year. Ooh, because I had, I mean, I talked to on Tuesday. I, I, I had Nikias Duncan on the podcast, and we kind of talked through this. And he, like, since he's like the the team he's he's almost most familiar with is the Heat, and he and he was just like, nah, Bam hasn't played enough, and so like then it's gotta, I gotta go somewhere else. And it was hard to, I mean, like, there's no, I mean, read the article on the athletic today, people, but there's like, there's <laughs> so many, there's so many like weird drawbacks with like all the candidates. And it's just like, why not Marcus smart, especially like they're the best defense in the league. And especially after the trades by a substantial margin. And while there's a lot of good defensive players there, I kind of feel like him being like the smallest guy who doesn't play like it. And not just being able to survive, but excel. Like, exactly. Yeah. Matched up against bigger guys. And also, and then this is again, I've, this is like the second time I've gone like psychological this podcast. Like, there's not a lot of nasty in that Celtics rotation, but they play nasty as a team. And that I, you kind of have to think that at least comes from him a little bit. They, they have, I, I would say him, Grant Williams, and, I think Horford just the 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 veteran all the stuff he's gone through even going back to Florida like he's like he's like the sage what's the image that someone circulated he's like master splinter <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's just holding he's got Jalen and Jason on one side and Marcus and Rob on the other um mm. I, the other thing I mentioned this in the video so that, that I make Tatum like Leonardo because his arms kind of look like the I'm pretty sure Tatum is Leonardo. I yeah. hope he is. We should yeah. go find that image after. I also hope Smart is Raphael. That would that would have to be a, think, oh, a must. I, mm, I don't know. I, I kind of think who is the one with the with the nunchucks? That sort of feels more like Smart to me. That's that's uh, Michelangelo, right? Oh my God, where whatever. No, I, I no, I think you're right. right. I think. No, I don't know. I don't know. I have to revisit the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at some point in the next decade and figure this out. Um, the thing about smart that I like, <laughs> the thing about smart that I like, is is on defense. As you said, now you're not covering for Kemba or um, Kyrie or some small guard. Now you're weaponized by the fact that you're the smallest guy on the court. But you can guard bigs. You can communicate. You can switch everywhere. And then on offense, I really love point guard smart on offense because 
it takes advantage of his playmaking. His playmaking last night was borderline surreal. I mean, he had like 13 assists in the first half last oh my night. Oh, God, they were so good. <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening. Every, so good. Yeah, every so night, good. every night, I, tur- I open up uh, the scoreboard every night. And, in the fr- it's, you know, it's 5 o'clock, 4.45 on the West Coast. And they're in two minutes left in the first half on these early East Coast games. And this is like the seventh game in a row, Seth. The Celtics have been up by 26 points in the second quarter. I don't know what's going on. They they are they are as hot and sort of as turned around as a team that I can ever remember. And smart at point guard gets him in his mind or something. There's another psychological point. Thinking less about gunning up eight threes and taking shots and more about just I'm gonna get guys involved. I'm gonna here's a pick and roll. I'm gonna come downhill. I'm gonna look for the action. I'm gonna move it. And then as a team, they've been better. Um, kind of attacking and, and moving it along. Uh, Grant Williams has been really fantastic. I, I think the only concerns I have about them are lack of shooting and, to some degree, lack of depth. I think they got about seven, maybe an eighth guy, and then you, you got, might get they some... Got seven and a half. Seven and a half, exactly. Yeah, because you, yeah. you, you can maybe take half of... Uh, between, like, Tyson Pritchard, that's, that's, a, yep. that's a half. Yep, and then you might... You're going to have an early round series where you'll... You know, Neesmith will have good minutes or something here and there. Yeah. But they, they, the depth is a concern and the shooting is a concern. Other than that, um, I mean, I think they don't make me have to start in a whole other hour on players I'm very high on. I mean, they have an elite player in Jason Tatum. So you get that oh, superstar thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like, I didn't even bring him up in the, in the Mitchell conversation because I don't like the way, like, he kind of had a, a sort of a, a career blip that I feel like started when, when he got COVID last season. And yep. it's sort of round New Year's this year kind of seems to have, and just like, because it seemed like he was falling into the, kind of the same things that like, it's an aesthetic judgment on my part, but the same things that kind of bugged me about Mitchell in terms of like dwelling on the ball at times. Like he was, he had a little of that going earlier this season. And then you watch the, the his play in the pick and roll last night, and it's just so, it's it is you know like I'm glad I'm glad we I'm actually glad we went to the TMNT thing because he is like I and I tweeted out an image of a guy sharpening knives because that's what it looks like when he's operating in the pick and roll like the use of like an extra dribble to just give a little bit more space, um like the wrong side the wrong side pocket pass he threw to Robert Williams, um. And for those who don't like know what I'm talking about, it's just like like he didn't like usually the pocket pass is like between the two defenders, and he threw like a one-handed hook pass on the outside of Gobert, who was the screen defender, to hit Robert Williams in stride for a layup. And it's like, what are we, like what is what is happening yeah. here? Yeah, no, he's he's really good. I think um, that allows Jalen Brown to play a more natural role. So they they have phenomenal defense. They have sort of scheme versatility. Uh, they have high-end player. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're really good. I think the Bucks, if they're healthy, are, to me, the most sort of problematic matchup. But I'm, I'm kind of with them you, at this so, point. So, like, everyone talks about the Celtics' depth. Are we going to talk about the Bucks' depth? Well, no, that's why the if yeah. they're healthy part. They no, I, but even, even healthy, like, who is there, who is there you know, like Boston has options. Like they, you can put any any like Tatum and Brown and Smart and pick two of the other guys for yeah. for for closing lineups. No, for, for Milwaukee, it's like they've got their they've got like the big three and probably Brooke. 
but maybe not. And then who? Then you're like, then you're asking questions. Like, I, is it I, Connaughton? Is it Lopez? Is it Portis? Is it like, where else are we going here? Like Javon Carter might sneak in in certain matchups. Um, Bud is going to want to play Wes Matthews, which I in the playoffs. <laughs> no, I, I think Milwaukee, Milwaukee would have to win with the power of their big three. Who, um, I mean, I think this has been Drew Holiday's best year. Uh, I have a little enhanced so, th- podcast. So this is, by the way, this is why, like, I was so surprised we differed so much on Mitchell because, like, you know, you've, you're 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 basically naming Seth's guys when you're waxing rhapsodic about Robert and Grant Williams and Drew Holiday, and if you you know say something good about Kenrich Williams, and and then we're you know we're 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 uh, you know we we it's, it, it, that's a bingo or something like that. Um, but yeah, but this but this always happens with us. We. Yeah. We, we are lockstep in, like, the four most unique dance steps in the game, and then the fifth one goes in the other direction. I, I think that's pretty consistent. You and I have yeah. done a lot of the same research over the years. We've driven into a lot of the same spaces, theoretically, and that means a lot of the same players we overlap on, but sometimes we go in different directions. Um, all right, this has been fun. Yeah. Let's, so yeah. Let's, the, the closing thought is that I think that... that um, a significant proportion of NBA nerdery is 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 uh, is has our credibility staked to the Boston Celtics in this year's playoffs. Between me, you, and, and Kevin Pelton, um, I think that's I think we're, like all all of us were kind of like I'm not sure, but I'm going with it. And 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 it's just like we're we're reinforcing ourselves now. And you know what? We're there. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm there. Consistently right. pounding every team in the league by yeah. by twenty points <laughs> right. is uh, that's the, that's the selling point. Is that a for good me. sign? I think that's a good sign. Yeah. yeah. All right, Ben. You know, uh, thanks a lot for joining. Um, you know, and uh, I, I forgot to apologize for uh, for the shots taken by my podcast. I'm not going to apologize. He's not <laughs> sorry, so I'm not sorry. But uh, um, uh, my podcast partner Moda Keel had some choice words for Ben the other week, and, uh, but we're we're good here. We're good. It's okay. No, Mo knows he's going to have to see me again. <laughs> All right, Ben. Thanks a lot. Thanks for, right, thanks for joining. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk yeah. soon. Yeah.